0: answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-W-O-R-T-H.
1: Welcome to All Worth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hanson. I'm Pat McClain. Thanks for being part of the program today. Our last show of 2019. It is. Both myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. Spend our weekdays with people like yourself and come here Uh on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. So whether you have an advisor you're working with now or advisors, or you uh, doing things yourself and just want to increase your education, we are glad you're part of our program. And um, frankly, this show would not be as good without um, our listeners. We tried, we tried to do a couple of shows with, uh,
2: without, without callers, without callers. And
1: um, I I found it boring that's just talking well you know what i appreciate about the call by the way if you want to join us our contact number is 833-99-WORTH 833-99-WORTH i um and i was talking to somebody i said the calls are pre-screened to make sure they're good but we don't i don't review to see what's going on ahead of time it's just kind of fun to see what the question is and it's I mean, it's one of the things I enjoy about being a financial advisor all these years. While I personally don't have many clients that I, I, I work with personally, um, I enjoy kind of the uh some of it's a bit of a puzzle trying to figure out navigate. There's a lot of things to navigate through and it's I find it interesting. Yes. Intellectually challenging. It's so, oh, stimulating, I should say. We
2: uh so I this has gotta be eight, seven, eight years ago. We met with a program manager at a radio station and he said, Yeah now. Boys, you need to quit taking calls because people just want to listen to you, and uh, the, the calls are distracting. They break up the show.
1: And like, I remember that. I'm like,
2: well, how's that work? With it's a financial talk show. This is not an infomercial where uh, we try to sell you on a particular product. The calls, and are nor the-
1: is it. It's nor is it um, an opinion show where we're talking about political opinion or. It's not just us dispensing our opinion. We are dispensing an opinion around financial topics. Yeah, but it's not like, and I could, and I think at the time, the trend was that, um, you know, the the, the your typical talk show where it's about politics or whatever's going on in the day, and you get other people will call with their opinion. And I got to admit, sometimes I'm listening to, and I don't listen to a lot, but sometimes I listen to a program and someone calls, and I'm like, I don't. I don't care about you. I, I actually care about the host's opinion because I find him interesting or her interesting. But the callers, I don't always find terribly interesting. But I think this is a very different thing because this the situations tend to be interesting. People's financial situations yeah, it's and their how they life, with not it. their opinion on yeah. whether the weak GOP is doing the right thing or the Democratic Party or whatever. That's irrelevant.
2: We tried it for two or three weeks without phone calls, and we found a. I, think I it was quite frankly, than that. I I hated it.
1: Well, I don't like hearing you talk that long. I know <laughs> <Okay>. that. <laughs> nice.
2: Nice. 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 All right. Let's, uh, let's get to these calls then. If you'd like to join the show, 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-999-6784.
1: Yeah. Let's uh, start off here in the Bay Area. We're talking with Debbie. Debbie, you're with All Worth's Money Matters.
3: Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Hope I don't sound too boring thank you <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question my husband and I decided very early on that one of us would stay at home be the stay at home parent um, now that our kids are up and gone we have some questions about retirement my husband has a school retirement although he's also worked definitely more than one job in- over the years and he's paid into social security mm-hmm. Um it's our understanding that he's not going to be able to access that. But as the non-working spouse, would I be able to access that? And is it any different if we're divorced?
1: No different if you're divorced. Um, the You can receive a spousal benefit on it, but the spousal benefit is going to be roughly 50%, assuming it was taken at the normal retirement age, 50% of the Social Security benefit. So your husband will receive a some benefit from social security
2: and he paid into stirs not pers
1: correct that's correct okay and did not pay and while he was paying into stirs did not pay into social security no he, did. Uh, he uh, did not through the job as as a
2: teacher at a school but he paid in through other side jobs that he had
1: into social correct. security okay correct. yeah but probably if you look at each year it was a small amount in the side jobs no
3: actually it wasn't that oh. that the deal is that he's always worked from his computer, so as long as his computer is open, he's working. Okay. Um, and there were years that he did as much in that side income that he did as working as a teacher.
2: Okay, okay, okay. So th- there's benefit. How old is he now?
3: He is 52.
2: And when do you plan on retiring?
3: Um, he's actually going to be retiring in the next three years.
2: From school, is he going Correct. to retire from the uh, part-time work?
3: Um, he's already left the part-time work. So, yeah, he'll, he he it'll be more like a full-time retirement when he does retire. Okay. Um, but he may work on the side just to stay busy. And do you have and any
1: oh, – It sounds like, Debbie, your concern is what you want to try to figure out. It sounds to me like there's maybe some challenges in the marriage, and your concern is that what Social Security benefit might you have – at uh, when you hit normal retirement age, sure. Right. That's well. I didn't hear that. Well, she asked about divorce.
2: <laughs> I know, but I was thinking that uh, it, uh, that it may not be about divorce. Other than is is there more benefit coming to the family if there is a divorce?
3: You know, it's it's a few things. It's it's maybe just the fundamental unfairness of being a stay at home parent and having the other parent work as though the stay at home parent is working. You know, it's still two incomes in the same household. But the benefit winds up being reduced because one of us were home full time.
1: Okay, so and and the and you know, I'm not trying to justify a good, bad, right, wrong. The the the, the reason for that is because there's one person paying into Social Security and the other person was not paying into Social Security.
3: Right. But
2: but so the but they were
3: paying into Social Security in addition to paying into their own retirement that. Yeah, as so far as we're, there's we're, it's we're, called it's you know, the rules, he yeah, cannot pull that retirement. You know, well, that's, he
2: not, can. No, that's not that's not necessarily true because the rules, Scott, you want to talk about it's called a
1: windfall elimination provision, which I know you really love the term of that because you're talking about this doesn't feel fair. It's a windfall elimination provision, which essentially, um, it doesn't enable someone to, to double dip. And, it, and the reason f- it's a complicated formula. But it's they've, they've determined that those who are paying into, say, STIRS, state teachers' retirement system, and not paying into Social Security, that during that the time they should not get benefit from, from those years. But when there are periods when they're paying into Social Security at the same time, they will get benefit. As an example, there are other government jobs where people pay into both the government retirement and into Social Security, and they get credit for their Social Security.
2: So— Part of that is because there is no dollars actually going into the social security. So this windfall elimination provision that you actually read about, if you look this up, um, if you go to uh, some sort of search engine and look up the windfall elimination provision, because his income was uh, almost equivalent to his teaching income over those years, won't be affected uh, that much by the windfall elimination provision. It's not like they said, oh— you know Debbie's husband doesn't get any benefit because he had this uh, other job. He'll get all the benefit from that.
1: It's gonna this this will be a challenge for you in your own planning for retirement, though. For Debbie's yes. or yes. them as for, a, as for a Debbie, and particularly if you end up um, splitting up. Yes. Okay. But it's
2: community property. Everything that that was acquired in the marriage is half yours
1: as the his his pension,
2: as is his social security as well on this particular situation, so if you're going through a dissolution of a marriage, everything that was acquired in community property is half yours, including social security and pension benefits. okay, does that help but but that ben- does. but the, but the benefit the windfall elimination provision. That, it, it's designed for someone to not have had paid into Social Security, to not receive Social Security benefits under a normal grid, right? That's what it's for. But because your husband's income was equivalent to, on both sides, it won't be affected um, to the degree that it normally would on a windfall elimination provision. Okay. But it's not – but it's not – it's it, – in in order to estimate what the value of that Social Security and uh, uh, the windfall elimination provision will be on the both of you going forward, will take a little bit of work.
3: Okay. All righty? Well, I will read up on that. Thank you. All right, Debbie. That.
1: Wish you well. And I, I, you know, a couple of things I was thinking about this. It's hard, I'm sorry, Scott. That's a hard conversation to have on the radio. Yes. I mean, it's, they're hard. To, it's a challenging thing. What I can say is I was thinking of two things there. One, if someone's going through divorce, if you're finding yourself in that position, you, you need to realize that not, not all assets are equal. So as an example, I'm just gonna, let's say $100,000 in an IRA is not the same as $100,000 of equity in a house. Why, Scott? Well, the way ta- you, we need to look at things from an after-tax perspective. That IRA will be taxed one day at whatever one's marginal tax rate is at that particular time, or uh, effective tax rate. So it could be that uh, that $100,000 IRA is only worth $75,000 or $85,000 or $65,000 or $50,000, depending on what someone's tax rate is. The $100,000 of equity in a house... A home could have up to five hundred thousand. A married couple can have five hundred thousand dollars of gain excluded from taxation when they sell a home. So, hundred
2: thousand dollars of home value is actually worth approximately hundred thousand dollars minus a commission fee in order to dispose it. Six or seven percent, right? So, if you had, if you look at the three kind of values in uh, assets, and Scott, how many times have you seen people come in and say all the time? Okay, I'm getting a divorce. I'm taking the hundred thousand dollars in the IRA. And by the way, if you're getting divorced, you 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 want to seek some independent financial counsel at the same time. And and we see this oftentimes drafted by attorneys that think about the law and not about the finances
1: behind well, it. Well, a lot of a lot of them are that's. So I, I'm not an attorney. I don't understand divorce law. They're not financial advisors. They don't understand investments and and the taxation. And like, at the same time, we'll if, if you,
2: you had a hundred thousand dollars in the savings, in a regular savings account. What's the after? What's the value of that? It's a hundred thousand,
1: right? So we have three things. And that, if you have a hundred thousand dollars in a mutual fund, it may not be worth a hundred thousand because you got to think what the much, after-tax amount is. How much gain is in it? Which is but uh, very it's quite common. where you will have a couple say, well, you take this asset and I'll take that asset because that's w- worth the same. But, but, but they're have, not. You have to bring everything into its
2: after-tax or liquidation value in order to determine. Uh, at, an equitable split. Yes, in in the d- dissolution of a marriage.
1: So, and the second thing I was thinking about with, with Debbie's um, comment, th- her call it, it, and I've been thinking about this. If and maybe it's just the stage of life that I'm in. So, uh, I'm in my early fifties, as my wife is. My wife worked for five years. She got a degree in finance, worked for fi- Intel for five years, got pregnant, and she wanted decided to stay home and raise be you a know, stay home mom. That's what she wanted to do. Uh, Which I supported, and um, she's—I mean, with when our youngest uh, natural child went to college, she could have went back in the workplace if she wanted, but she chose not to, and and we just didn't need to from a financial standpoint. But certainly have encountered many clients and a lot of people in our peer group that one has stayed home, and now at this time. It's really important that one gets back goes back to the workplace. Or there's a divorce, and someone like Debbie, who had who had called, who had all these years out of the workforce, bright, skilled, intelligent, oftentimes college educated, had a career, put their career on hold, and it is challenging for them to re-enter the workplace. It is, it is much more difficult. And I've often thought. And maybe there are some programs, but you don't certainly hear about many programs that can really help somebody prepare to reenter the workforce, like maybe brushing up on the latest com- computer programs, uh, software programs, or whatnot. But um, it's it's one of those areas that... Um, And I find it very challenging. and It's typically the woman and 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 I feel and sometimes I see them going. I see other women going to some of these jobs that they are could be doing so much more. And I'm thinking it's a shame they're kind of settling for this job because they've been out of the workplace for so many years.
2: But but Scott, it's it's also that uh, and I've seen this a couple of times with with uh, friends of mine that the spouse has to reenter the workforce and they don't want to. But that's not actually. They're like, well, I'll just get paid um, alimony. That's actually not how it works. It's the amount of money you could work, you could
1: make. You mean on a divorce? On a divorce? Yeah. 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 Well, that's um, challenging. Yeah, way, from a financial standpoint, don't get divorced. I mean, <laughs> I mean, spend the money on counseling first. It's going to be a lot cheaper than everything else. I mean, if you can avoid that. And, and obviously to find a way to have some peace and joy in your life living with this other person, um, that is clearly a, something beneficial rather than um, financially. It is disastrous because now you've, got the, you've had an income that has supported one household, and now you've got to do two households. It's very expensive. All right, let's continue on here. One eight three three ninety nine. 99 worth is the number. We're in Denver talking with Cheryl. Cheryl, you're with All Money Matters.
4: Well, hello, Scott and Pad. Hi, it's Cheryl. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Um, I love your podcast, and I greatly appreciate the conversations and advice that you offer. Well, thank you, thank you. You um, can
2: keep talking all day.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have a question for you um, regarding Roth conversions. Uh, My husband, who's age 59, and I, who is is age 58, are in a position to retire early next year in 2020. We plan on using non-qualified assets to provide income for approximately the next five years. And beginning in 2021, we will not have any earned income, but we will have some long-term capital gains. And therefore, I, I'm hoping to convert a couple of small traditional IRA accounts to Roth accounts. And uh, I believe the tax consequences will be very low, if any, on these conversions. Uh, Which leads me to my question. Um, Do the current tax laws allow for rollover 401k assets to be converted to Roth accounts?
1: Yes. Yes, they do.
4: Now, I understand. Okay, they do. Yes. And I understand that taxes have to be paid upon that conversion.
2: Yes. Um, Yes. So. Well, uh, 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 Okay. We'll walk through the mechanics. Keep keep asking the questions, but we'll walk through the mechanics of it here in a second.
4: Okay, sure. So essentially with no earned income uh, starting in 2021, um, I'm looking at those conversions being conceivably having no taxes. Um, And then... Uh, my question was, or does it trigger income for income tax purposes? Yes, um, which no. I'm assuming it would. Yeah, well, it could.
1: Okay. So, so and Cheryl, you are thinking the exact way that we would be thinking um, as financial advisors. I mean, this is perfect planning, right? So, you've got some mm-hmm. money saved up in your retirement plans, your IRAs and four hundred one k's. You have some money outside of those. You're thinking. I'm not going. Our tax in, taxable income is going to be peanuts for the couple years. Mm-hmm. What a great opportunity for us to convert to Roth. When whenever someone has kind of an, an anomaly, a year or two or three or whatnot, with very low taxable income, whether it's due to a retirement like this or it's due to um, unemployment or a health issue, it's a phenomenal opportunity to take some money in a retirement account and convert it to a Roth. And by doing so you're able to essentially lock in some of your retirement assets at a very low tax rate. Today you pay a small tax rate today in exchange for the promise of tax free growth in the future. And the beautiful thing
2: about this is you're going to do it at age 61. So there's a window even before you have the opportunity to take social security that is even better. So let's, let's dig, dig into this, give us some numbers. So let's break them into two camps qualified, which IRAs,
1: means... IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs.
2: So when we say the word qualified, it's tax qualified. How much money do you have in those combined between the both of you? Um,
4: it's about $1.65 Okay. And then dollars
2: outside of that, including monies and savings and brokerage accounts, how much is in that account, which we would call non-qualified?
4: So... Um, well, there's a couple of different buckets. We have um fifty thousand in a in, already in a Roth. Um we have another uh two hundred and fifty thousand that's in an inherited Roth.
1: It's in an inherited, excuse me? And Roth. Okay.
4: It's inherited Roth.
1: Yeah, don't take any more than the required minimum on that one.
4: Right, exactly. <laughs> uh and then um we have about 650,000 in non-qualified brokerage accounts. All right.
2: And I assume no debt.
4: And the only debt we have is our house which yes. we'll we're downsizing in probably 3 to 5 years, so I'm not I'm not mm, i'm not worried about that component okay i mean this point.
1: this is such a great and you have no pension
4: no pension that's
1: that's unfortunate, okay. unfortunate. that's not great obviously. and yeah. you have 650
2: dollars <laughs> uh and fifty thousand dollars in non-qualified how much of a savings or cash or anything like that
4: um unfortunately most of it's in stocks
2: well i don't um, think that's unfortunate right
4: now and well, I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I have to, you know, so the the plan is for the next uh, five years to live off those assets, but I have to liquidate those. And I have to do so prudently so that I don't get hit with a big capital gains yeah, tax. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, so that's, that's yeah, and, a consideration. And, and, I and remember,
2: this, remember this, Cheryl, as well. If you have all the stock or SP 500 in these non qualified accounts and you go to liquidate them at a bad period of time, mm-hmm. that you can replicate mm-hmm. that position in your IRA.
1: Yeah. So that, so, so if, you can still have a long term hold even though you plan on spending those dollars in the next five right? years.
2: Right. So if you have a portfolio in your IRA, let's say that's 70% stocks and 30% bonds and cash, and all your money in your brokerage account is actually in stocks, and we're into a down market where it's down 10 or 15. And you're like, I
1: don't want to have to sell my, my fund. You would just replicate it in the brokerage
2: account or excuse me, in your IRA and sell some bond off so that you actually keep the allocation the same throughout the whole process. So just, that's a, that's an aside. That's an aside. So let's actually address this Roth, uh, issue. Great,
1: great planning technique. And so when you go to, and the, our, the way the tax rates work, Cheryl, and it, Probably make a little sense to kind of brush up on them. Just um, trying to think what we what tools resources we have online. I know that we've got something online that goes into pretty good depth on uh, some of the taxation, but it's uh, you, because of with recent tax changes. We we have a as if we're married, we have a standard deduction that's about what $22,000, $24,000, somewhere in there. So we could have that much income with zero taxes. Then there's another ten thousand or so that's at a, um, is it a ten percent tax rate? Yes, and it, and then it goes to twelve percent, and then it bumps up from there. So you, what the kind of planning needs to do is you you might be willing to say I'm I'll have some money even in a twelve percent tax rate. These are the kind of things that you need to do some long term projections with. So
2: the first thing you have to do is determine how much money you're going to need to live on and how much you're going to, need to take off the brokerage account. That's the first thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. Then you Correct. decide whether you're going to convert. The difference, let's say you say, oh, I need $50,000 a year to live off the brokerage account. Then we actually then would look to see whether it makes sense to convert all of those dollars, the difference in that marginal tax rate to a Roth or not. Some, at some level. So whether it's at zero tax or wherever we are in the tax. Because here's the challenge.
1: We've got $1.6 in brokerage accounts now. Let's assume that over the next decade you are in Seven percent. that 1.6 is going to be 3.2. Now you've got a required minimum distribution that's roughly a hundred thousand dollars the first year.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So my guess yeah. is if we were going to do this analysis, we would decide to pay some tax. We would take obviously all that it's zero yeah.
1: Yeah, and then we'd, the, the, we'd run what, up the, the, the flagpole in order to. You're or thinking the, the exact things you need to be thinking. And you're probably going to be best suited to have either a great tax advice, I would think, a good tax planner and maybe a good financial planner at the same time helping you through this analysis. Or if you're really good at doing with the TurboTax or one of the other tax programs, it's you're going to have to run the numbers. Uh, but Because this is a great strategy. It'll work for you. Uh, and it's the right thing to be thinking about. And you've clearly done a great job. And you're thinking about the right things. You're just going to have to run the numbers to see what the best strategy. We're going to take a quick break. Stick around for more All Worth's Money Matters.
0: Can't get enough of All Worth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast.
1: Welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. And uh, glad you're sticking around. And if you want to go to the, uh, would like to join our show, would love to take your call. 833-99-WORTH. That's 833 833- Triple nine, six, seven, eight, four. We'll get you on the program. And before we go to...
2: Oh, Scott, may I for for a second here? Before Maybe. We, we get on the air, Maybe. right? Maybe. Yeah. On the air. You say, let's go. And I say, I'm making notes. You look at me and I say, and you say, let's go. And I'm making notes of things I want to talk about. And you say, let's go. <laughs> and you turn. <laughs> I said explicitly, wait a second. And then you just... Hit the live button and start the show. Have you
1: no patience? Have you? How long have we worked together? You just pretended. Pat, I- that is you. My, so the other day I'm in the car with my kids talking to you briefly for something. Okay. Now, Pat has the patience. You think I, <laughs> oh, come on. Okay. That's so, <laughs> Pat, when you're talking to him on the phone, um, he often will hang up before the conversation's over. His he thinks it's done and his conversation's over. So you're talking. Oh, I gotta go bye. And so I'm in. There's like there's like this last week. I'm talking to you. I don't talk to Pat that often with my with there's others in the car. But we're in the car and um like <laughs> he oh, yeah, full on. Yeah, I think I said bye. Oh wait, one more thing. And as you can't do that with Pat because it's you know he's he's always on to They're, the next.
2: They do actually. Well, nickname was. Um, Fortunately, I've dropped it. I've mellowed some. It used to be Hurricane McClain.
1: Yeah, Hurricane McLean. And when we first started... You know, but my point being, I don't know how you turn this into me. We
2: could... <laughs> you could have just slowed down getting on the air so I could make these notes. Okay, so we don't need to tell stories about when we first started, do we?
1: Well, probably not. But I... <laughs> I don't... i recall, Pat, uh, back in the early days it was we would do a lot of educational workshops we actually we when we started Hanson mclean which is now morphed into allworth um in 1993 pat and i were working together at another company in 1990 in 1990 but we started working together in the latter part of 1990 1991 uh, working with pacific bell which is now part of 18d pacific bell retirees and we did educational workshops to the employees on their retirement benefits. Right? Exactly. So we were both a couple years out of well, – both had uh, business degrees a couple years out of college. And um, we, we did – we became experts essentially at the pension plans. We did these educational workshops. And then we would follow up with those people. I'll just be totally transparent here. Would we'll follow up with those people to see, hopefully they'd want to come in and meet with one of us, and our hope was that we might turn some of these people into clients because we can, which which happened for hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> Correct. That's why we're a couple hundred employees today. That's how it started. Um, but Pat, <laughs> Pat was he was great on the phone following up with people afterwards because someone has to follow up with them. And we had when we started we had one employee, but I would always remember, Pat I'd be in the office talking with Pat. In the middle of a conversation, and he would turn around because his computer was like behind a desk. He would turn around mid conversation, pick up the phone, and start dialing, calling somebody. Really? really? Oh, all the time. We're in the middle of something, and which I appreciated because Pat had the sense of urgency like, look, there's this, we don't have enough calls, and we're not going to. Anyway. And so I would leave and go and have a nice uh, dinner somewhere. <laughs> I was back in the office working. <laughs> the story of my
2: life. Anyway, thank you for listening to that. We're in this um, part of the show. We're going to talk, uh, take a couple phone calls, but we want to set aside uh, a portion of this for the last show of the year just for things that you should think about for your financial New Year's resolutions. Like what What are the basics, whether you're 30 or 93 Things that you should actually think about. all
1: of us, regardless of our financial situation. Whether you've
2: got a ton of money or none at all, just like basics just to revisit it, things I should actually do in the first month of the year uh, that I should have been doing for years and years and years. And it's very similar to what uh, my wife and my family goes through. And uh, if you're a business, it's, you know, you do business planning. This is the business planning for individuals and families. So,
1: You know, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking – my wife doesn't pay much attention to the finance, but I'm thinking, I should probably kind of um, force this and spend a few hours with my wife. on our f- We're having a financial meeting for a few hours.
0: I'm going to do that. Are you?
1: She yes. doesn't get involved in... No, it's funny because she has a degree in finance. She understand- you met in college in yes, the Yes, in the same a finance same- class. In finance, yes. right? Back then, there were like... Uh, Four women in the finance class. Uh, you know, with the typical class would be four women and the rest would be guys. And actually, it's still the same, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know why. But there was a lot of competition for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You feel good about yourself? Huh? huh? <laughs> I do. I totally married up. You know me. You know my wife. You would oh, agree with uh, that. I, I'm going gonna, gonna to keep that to myself. Um, so... We'll talk about, we'll go through some of these when we, um, after we take these calls. Briefly, though, now nah, I'm going to skip this other thing. We'll talk about that. Okay. When let's we go take some calls. calls, and then we're going to talk about uh, yes, what we could,
2: you uh, should do to plan for the new year.
1: 833 worth is the number, and we are in Indiana with Jason. Jason, you're with allworths Money Matters.
5: Hey, guys. How you doing? Super. Uh, simple question, kind of. I got uh, two loans need to pay off one came i pulled out a 401k loan which may or may not be recommended of course and uh car loan and i'm not sure which one i want to pay off first they're both uh $22,000 roughly and um yeah I have where'd you get the money to pay, pay off.
1: them off why do you have the cash to pay them off
5: um i've just been able to save up enough to do that um a lot quicker than i thought it was going to pay off and the 401k
1: Here's why. Do that one first. When someone takes a loan on a 401k, so a loan on your car, think about it this way. Let's say you buy a car for $20,000 and you have a $10,000 loan on the car. You still have that $20,000 car, right? That You still have the whole value of that car. On a 401k, let's say you have a $20,000 401k and you borrow $10,000. You don't still own $20,000 worth of securities. The 401k actually goes and sells a bunch of securities to come up with the cash. So Mm. it's in a sense, it's think of it like a withdrawal without the tax consequences because that's pretty much what it is. So I I like the idea. I I don't like 401k loans at all.
2: In addition to that, if you have a change of employment, that loan becomes due and payable immediately. And if you can't pay it off...
1: Or within the next 12 months, yeah.
2: Yeah, if you can't pay it off, uh, you actually have penalties... And all taxes do on that. So right. I, I agree with, with Scott. I'd pay off the 401k. Now, the second question is, uh, why did you take a loan? Why did you take these loans?
5: Um, to get down 20% on a house. Okay. Uh, which was for the 401k, and oh, got it. Uh, the car loan was to buy the car. We bought the car about six months before we bought the house, actually.
2: And how old are you? 36. What's the value of the home?
5: Um two twenty and we got a hundred and eighty thousand dollar loan
1: on it. I I like the idea of getting the 401 K paid off. Yeah, and I don't I don't
2: know if I could even fight fight him on taking the money out of the four. What's your approximate family no. <laughs> income? <laughs> What's that? What's your approximate family income?
5: Um, take home pay seventy five.
2: Yeah, I don't think it was a bad idea no. to take the loan on the four hundred one K to buy the house. Yeah.
5: No, I yeah, can I and, tend to agree with you now. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're young you're young? Uh, you, you know, you're 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 starting off in your career. You're going to take some risk and uh, try not to do it again. But I think it was a good call, especially in this right. low no, interest rate environment. This low interest rate environment, and you probably got under the PMI, which is why you yeah. wanted to come up yeah. with twenty percent. Is that so correct? Have,
1: exactly. So it might have been the yep. right move. Yeah, I, it it was probably the right. Yeah, move. Yeah, probably was. As much as I hate, <laughs> uh, <or yeah>. <laughs> no, there's, there's often exceptions. <laughs> yes, I mean, I rarely make absolute statements on financial matters. truly no because there's always exceptions I guess with um
5: Looking at down the line, I was pitched a whole life insurance. Oh, don't buy a whole life I, policy. Oh. Yeah, no, that. I kind of like the idea of being able to take a loan out on that, but yeah. the money to still
1: grow. Then, well, you know we can take a loan out of any asset. Why it, does that have to be a whole life? You could take a loan against a stock portfolio. You can take a loan against a house or a rental property. You can take a loan against anything you want. Yes, yes. Not, that, there's was, nothing was, unique about a whole life policy w- of taking a loan, as much as the agents like to say there is. Y-
2: you can have a stock portfolio. You can take a loan off against that, and they say, "Well, if you die." Well, look, if you die, the stocks uh, get a full step-up basis. They go on tax-free. Tax-free. So the problem with the whole life insurance policies is— It's the is- people who
1: sell them. Well, that's the no, seriously. Most of them don't <laughs> understand—no, seriously. Most of them do not understand the entire world of finance. Most so, of them do not. They're, they started their career with an insurance company. Their education's all been about insurance company. All the, the continuing education they have on products all, is all coming from the home office, the manufacturers of the insurance products. And so they have this myopic view. They don't know. They haven't seen the whole world. As much as they think they have, they have not. We started at an insurance company, by the way.
4: Okay.
1: And if you, if you look at what percentage of whole life policies lapse – the vast majority are not enforced the whole life. Yeah. And with something like 50% are elapsed within three years. So, Jason, And they've got huge surrender penalties.
2: You need life insurance if you have children or there are people relying upon your Big fan your of life income. insurance. Buy yourself some 10, 15, 20-year level term, um, and that's all you need to do. Don't
6: okay.
1: buy a whole no. life insurance policy.
5: I appreciate I that. Not. Knock that one off the list. I would not. Right.
1: Max out your Roths. Before you buy any life, whole life. Well, don't buy any whole life don't insurance. Don't buy any whole life insurance. Okay. All right. All Appreciate right. The call. Appreciate luck. it, guys. All right. See you, Jason. And I <laughs> get a little <laughs> awesome. You get a little fired up. I do, because I see, you see it. We all see it. We do see it. And it's, people have owned it a couple of years. They lapse it. They quit paying on it. And if you quit, pay, they just have, they're structured. They're long surrender charges. Huge commissions. Yes. And which is
2: part of the reason for a surrender charge.
1: That's the, almost the entire reason for the center.
2: So what right. happens is these insurance companies have to pay these big commissions out to the people
1: who like, sell like, the life insurance policies. Like sometimes 100% of the first-year premiums? They're expensive. So you're paying $3,000 a year in premiums. 3000 bucks goes to this insurance And the reason
2: the they have surrender charges is to recapture that commission as well as the fees of underwriting the policy if you terminate it in the early years.
1: Right, and as long as they have big enough surrender charges, they don't really care if you terminate.
2: Yeah, but like, term life insurance is inexpensive
1: and easy to buy. That's right. Let's continue on with uh, calls because uh, we always enjoy taking calls, <laughs> and uh, of course, our contact number eight three three ninety nine worth to join the show. We're talking with Sean. Sean, you're with Worth's Money Matters.
6: Hi guys, how's I, it going? Good. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing all right. Um, my question was for you. I'm just getting at a point in my career where I'm able to max out my retirement, and I'm not quite sure about the rules because I'm a federal employee versus private, and all the knowledge I have is from the private sector. And I was told that our TSP, our Thrift Savings Plan, doesn't have a limit on our Roth contributions, and I'm curious if that's true or not.
1: Um, well, there's 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 tax law that goes around the TSP. It's all under the four hundred one k program, so it has okay. similar limit. It's the same limits. So I don't know how someone could say there's no. I mean, you couldn't put in a hundred thousand dollars a year into your Roth sure. the TSP. Correct. correct
6: of the nineteen five that we can put into a four hundred one k can all of that go into oh, yes. a Roth versus a- yes 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 That's yes deductible. yes yes
1: one hundred percent okay good. yeah.
6: And so as far as planning for retirement, is there a benefit to putting it into the traditional tax deductible side or the Roth?
2: It can be. It can be. It depends on what your income is today, what you believe it's going to be in the future, whether you're okay. in a high-tax state today, whether you'll retire but into also, a low-tax stat ha- state in the future. It also to
1: do with if, we, if, you use the, if you take it before tax, you save money on taxes today. The question is – what do you do with those dollars if you spend those dollars on an annual vacation or going out to dinner or on a wine collection let's assume you drink all the wine then it's all then you would then it's okay. it's so, wasted so scott dig into that a little bit because uh,
2: how, how does the average listener to this radio show or podcast understand that
1: well so here's one way let's say you you can you contribute $10,000 Let's say the only money you save, Sean, is in your four hundred one k. You are mm-hmm. like most Americans; you spend what comes through the checkbook, okay? Um, so you save it in your four hundred one k, and you like it because it gets sucked out of your paycheck before you have a chance to to, to spend it. If you that exactly. te- right, I mean that's if you if you put it in on a before tax basis, you get a tax deduction of a couple thousand bucks a year, so your take home pay for the calendar year will be a couple thousand dollars. More because of the tax deduction you're receiving. If you put it into okay. the Roth, you don't get the tax deduction. So if I put so 10, your, ta- 000- your take home would be a couple thousand dollars less. So the que- if you if you, you assume we're in a higher tax bracket today than we will be in the future, and if you take those the tax savings and you save it rather than spend it, the before tax uh, uh, options is going to make the most sense. On the other hand, if if you will spend the tax savings regardless of your future tax rate. If you're going to spend it, you'd be better off with the Roth. So if I put yeah.
2: money in, deduct it, and I'm in a 35% marginal rate when I pull it out, mm-hmm. 20 years from now, I that still the same $10,000, I will have a net spendable income of 6500 If I put it in yeah. a Roth and I pull it out, the $10,000, and there's no taxes, I'll have a net spendable income of 10000 So not only is it tax that drives it, but Scott is 100% right.
1: It's your behavior that actually drives this. Which isn't talked about very often. But that's – No, it's not. (laughs) Because if you get to retirement and you've got a million bucks in a taxable retirement account or a million dollars in a Roth taxable retirement account, I mean, they're two totally different numbers. They're Mm -hmm. not the same at all.
2: Because you have to measure things on an after-tax – because that's how the only way you're going to be able to spend those. What's your family income after tax?
6: Family income right now between myself and my girlfriend is right around two hundred thousand.
1: Your girlfriend, so you're you're not you're not filing married. Not filed
6: married yet. So, no. what's, so mine is one fifty for the year.
1: And you're in California.
6: Yeah. Yes.
2: Well, I need the first thing you need to do is find a girlfriend that makes more money. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> joking, uh, joking, <laughs> joking.
6: Uh, um, how old are you? I'm thirty-one.
2: One fifty. Do you own a home?
6: Not yet. I'm currently saving two thousand dollars a month on top of my retirement towards a home. Good for you. You're a good saver. It's thanks to the girlfriend. Honestly, I would take.
1: Uh, I would put use California's an extremely high tax state. You're in a high tax mm-hmm. bracket in California. I would take the pre before tax. Okay. I would as well. At this stage, and, why, and why, you're a good saver. The fact that you're saving well tells me. Remember, I kind of came back to if that tax savings is wasted, uh, mm-hmm. then you're better off taking the Roth. And what's wrong with him making a or Roth doing,
2: contribution uh, now and using that for the purchase of the home? What's the, the he
1: limit? can't He can't do that. He can do a non deductible, and then convert to a Roth.
6: Which I'm also saving enough for to do the, what's I guess, the backdoor Roth.
1: Yeah, I like that idea. I do the before tax and the 401k, and then I do the backdoor Roth. All right. All right. Good job. That answers
6: my question. And you can reevaluate this every few years, right, as things change? Great saver. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good luck. Thank you very much, you guys. Thanks.
2: Good saver. Sounds like he just started becoming a good saver, though.
1: With the girlfriend.
2: Changes. (laughs) (laughs) I became much more responsible after I met
1: my wife than before I I was oh gosh (laughs) right I tell you I'm grateful for the wife I've got I don't know I wouldn't be here. For- I don't know what my life would be like. <laughs> I mean, I don't always make the best choices, and I get a little uh, carried away on certain things I probably have would have
2: uh, windsurfed and snowboarded and uh, snow skied over the last...
1: You know, it reminds me... I don't know if I've mentioned this on the air, and if I've told this story before, tell me shut up. But uh, years ago, I'm meeting with this couple. They were maybe 10 years away from retirement. Both had professionals. And we're in there... We're doing some planning for them. And... They would, they're good savers and whatnot. And they had three kids, three adult children. They're all in their 20s, I believe. And two were, they were talking about their kids. Two were very responsible and they had good jobs in the 401k. And then the one was in, lived in Latin America and he had worked like three months out of the year, just enough to kind of survive. And then he would windsurf for Mount, whatever he would do, just. Kind of cruise, right? Enjoy life. Yeah. right. And so they were talking about how frustrated they are with this one son who's just not, doesn't seem, he's not putting money towards his retirement and all this. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm thinking, I said, you know, maybe he's the one who's got to figure it figured out. Maybe we're the fools here. We go over complicate things. They got all these re- investments saved up. And, and what did they say? Well, we all kind of chuckled about it because yeah. there's all part of it. That part was 20 years
2: might. ago. He's living with his parents now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know, actually. I should ask about that kid. How are you doing?
2: Well, the people go through stages in life, obviously.
1: Yeah. Anyway. All right, Pat. So we had um, mentioned before these last couple of calls that we were going to talk about some things to consider. And your are for new years yeah,
2: and things that actually you should be doing on an ongoing basis. But it it's interesting. So when we track our own business, January and February are the busiest months of the year for us in terms of people inquiring into our firm about what Not we do. Not the first
1: week in January, but
2: Co- correct. Yeah. But and, and part of it is because people actually, you know, at the beginning of the new year, like let's refocus on the things that are important to us. Um, and oftentimes um, it's health and wealth. Um, so you go to the gym. By the way, the first two weeks of the year at the gym are oftentimes the most crowded and uh, lots of new and familiar faces. But if you're a regular... And I would f-
1: imagine the weight loss programs, since they get more members at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So, um, and then it, come mid-February, we our it, resolutions that are all flown, by the way. Yeah, so
2: and, and, and the gym is nice again when all those people leave. Um,
1: that is not encouraging <laughs> to those that are considering...
2: Yeah, it's as is with uh, anything, it's consistency over long periods of time. So New Year's, you want to look at your debt. You want to look at personal debt. You want to look at uh, debt that is collateralized debt. um, And you want to look at uh, the cost of the debt. So personal debt is anything that credit cards, it would be considered a personal debt. Collateralized debt are automobile debt and home debt. Home or mortgages. Or boats. Or boats, right? So in those things, if you've got personal debt, just get rid of it. Just That is the highest cost of if money. If you can. If you can. And, it, and if you can't, then get put a, a plan a, together to get rid of to it. To get rid of it. If you've got collateralized debt, which means collateralized, there
1: is something that or is— Or against—you know, you know what a lot of the big brokerage firms like to do um, is, is have people borrow against their securities, why, They're not it? really margin loans because they make money off it. But I never understood that, Scott. I mean, what,
2: if, especially if you have cash holdings or bond holdings in your portfolio that's paying
1: less than the cost of the money on the loans. That's why you need to take a good look. And if you find that you've got assets paying less, and if you own any fixed income, you're going to have any high-quality, shorter-term fixed income is going to be paying less than what you're paying on a loan today you got to ask yourself, why in the world do you have a loan? Why are you paying for the privilege of having a loan when you don't need it?
2: And that includes home loans, automobile loans, boat loans, right? Yes. So that's it. So that look at the debt and just do an analysis. Look at each one of it and then make decisions. Asset
1: allocation? It's a perfect time of year to look at your overall portfolio because last year was a great year for the stock market. 2019? Yeah, this last year. Yeah. So, yeah, I said – you said last year. Uh, well, we're doing New Year's goals, <laughs> even if it's the last uh, Saturday, uh, last weekend in the year. Um, so, if you had some stocks, you are now, unless you've reallocated along the way, rebalanced along the way, you are going to be overweighted. So, it's a great time. And it, you might have a you might have your money invested in such a manner with an advisor of some sort where it's being rebalanced for you. If not, uh, take a look at. Your overall allocation, because you're probably more overweighted more in stocks now. And, and stocks, are, frankly, the more, the higher prices go up, the more risk there is, not the less risk. And it's hard for people to actually do this emotionally. Why would you want to
2: sell something that's doing so well? Correct, right? Why would you sell something that's doing well? Shouldn't I sell the thing that's not doing well, Right. But because... Nothing's doing. It's all halves, it's past tense. The mere fact that we actually can measure it means it's already taken that's correct. place. So the reason you reallocate portfolio is not necessarily to actually increase your return. It's to understand the risk that's in the portfolio. So when you reallocate or rebalance a portfolio, you're selling those things that have done well and buying those things that have done less well. And if history tells us anything... It's cycles will actually cause asset classes to move, not in tandem, but uh, opposite each other for long periods of time. So that's why you want to reallocate the portfolio, rebalance it. The other thing you want to look at is, hey, are you putting enough or as much as you can into your savings plans, including...
1: If you're not retired.
2: Your 401Ks, 403Bs, 457s, are you putting enough money into your regular savings on a regular basis? Are you actually... Funding your ROS or IRAs at the appropriate amount. Can you do more? Can you do more? Next thing you want to look at is, do I have any major purchases coming up? And if I do, how am I going to pay for those? What is a major purchase? Well,
1: it could be your kid's college. That's a purchase. Could be a car. Purchase. Could be a big vacation. Purchase. So Could be a new roof. Could be, as I'm dealing with right now, new heating and air conditioning. Uh, Why would you say that on the air? You're going to just get pinged with all kinds of people now selling you heating and air. If you ping me after this, I'm not buying from you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Major purchasing. And then the last thing you want to look at is your overall financial goal. What
1: is your plan? What's the objective with these dollars? It's your objective to... Regardless of where you are. what are your, What's your financial objective? What are your financial objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? What would you like to accomplish? Uh, is it retirement you're trying to fund? If you're planning on retirement, is it being maintaining retirement? Is it having money left for your kids? Is it endowing some sort of
2: charity? Is it or working the- till the day you die and pushing as much money downstream as possible? You have to ask yourself that question in order to – you need to know where you go- you're going if you want to get there.
1: And setting those goals is the foundation, the bedrock to having some financial security. It really is. And if you talk to anybody who is financially independent at retirement age, it started by having some of these goals. So it's been great being with you. It's been a great 2019. We so much appreciate the support that you bring to us. We so enjoy being with you. Enjoy your new years. We'll see you in 2020. This has been All Worth's Money Matters.